everyone has questions. Why am I here? Where will I go when I die? Is there really truth? But not everyone has biblical answers. Welcome to The Pastor Study, a ministry of pastorstudy.org. Join us now as we study the Bible to draw closer to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here is Pastor Tom Brock. Welcome to The Pastor Study. When I was 16 years old, my dad ran the racetrack in Omaha. Dad was a very important, busy man, kind of a workaholic. But I remember when I was an usher at the racetrack when I was 16, one day dad came down from his office and took me over to the stands and said, Tom, let's, let's sit down and talk. I clearly remember that. Then three years later, dad is dying of a brain tumor. He has about three months left to live and dad and I went out into the fishing boat and we just sat down and talked. And there are days I wish I could just be alone with dad and pick his brain and talk with him. You know, maybe you had a good or bad relationship with dad, but you know what is going to happen now in Matthew chapter 14? Jesus wants to get alone with his heavenly father. <clears throat> and he keeps getting these interruptions. The crowd interrupts him and Jesus is gracious. He heals the crowd. And then he does the miraculous feeding of the 5,000 with just two fish. And ultimately though, we're going to see Jesus let nothing rob him of his alone time with the Father. And Christian, neither should we. So would you turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 14 and let's talk about the day Jesus walked on the water. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that each of us watching this program would have good alone time talking with you, our Heavenly Father. And Lord, just teach us in this half hour how to develop a quiet time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 14, beginning at verse 22. This is what happens after the feeding of the 5,000. And immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And after he sent the multitudes away, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. Here's the first lesson I want you to get. Persevere in getting alone with God like Jesus does here. Uh, he, it says he made the disciples get into the boat. Sometimes you have to make the good things go away in order to make time for the great thing, which is time. You know, the greatest privilege on the planet is to be able to talk to the creator of the universe. Don't let anything rob you of that. And there's a saying, when it comes to prayer, Satan will always find you something else to do, if only adjusting a window shade. So Jesus perseveres in getting alone with God. Do you, do you do that? When I was a young preacher, an old white-haired preacher said to me, Tom, you need one hour alone with the Lord every day or you'll burn out. And I don't get a full hour every day, but I often do. And maybe you've seen the bumper sticker, seven days without prayer makes one week, W-E-A-K. Martin Luther said these words, 
I am so busy now that I find if I, if I did not spend two or three hours each day in prayer, I could not get through the day. If I should neglect prayer but a single day, I should lose a great deal of the fire of faith. Well, why did God use Martin Luther to start this huge reformation in the church? Why did he use that man so much? Maybe because he was consistent in being alone with his father. Again, if you don't have a quiet time, maybe in the morning or in the evening when you're alone with God, you pray during that time, you read your Bible during that time, maybe you read devotional, I highly encourage you, do what Jesus did, get past the interruptions and get alone with your father. Look at verse 24. But the boat was already many stadia away from the land, battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Here's the next lesson. The church will survive the storms. At this point in history, the church is only about 13 people, Jesus and the disciples. The whole Christian church is in this little boat. And this little boat is getting bumped by the waves. And for the next 2,000 years, the boat, the Christian church, will be battered by persecutions, false heretics, scandals. But Jesus said, the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. In other words, Satan's going to try to destroy the church. It's going to last until the second coming of Christ. That's good news. I needed to hear that this week. <laughs> If you saw this show a week or two ago, I told you that the liberal branch of Lutheranism, of which I used to be a part, called the ELCA, they're having their big teen convention soon. 30,000 Lutheran teenagers coming from all over the country. And I told you how they are bringing in radical, heretical, foul-mouthed preachers that speak to these children. Well, they've added another speaker. There is an ELCA pastor's wife. She has a 12-year-old boy who thinks he's a girl. So they're putting a dress on him. And she, this transgender pastor activist wife, and her 12-year-old girl are coming to speak to 30,000 Lutheran teenagers. Ay, ay, ay. Well, Jesus said, the gates of hell are not going to destroy my church, said Jesus. Some evil denominations will die. The ELCA Lutheran Church is dying. It's shrinking. So are the liberal United Methodists, the Episcopal Church, the uh, Presbyterian Church USA. The United Church of Christ, which is the most liberal, is, is shrunk down to almost nothing. Some of these evil denominations will die, but the true believers will be on earth till the end of time. <laughs> Look at verse... 25. And in the fourth watch of the night, that's about 3 a.m., Jesus came to the disciples walking on the sea. Here's the next lesson. Jesus has power over nature. The disciples just learned he has power over material substance, bread and fish, and he did the 5,000. Here they learn Jesus has the power over gravity, over the laws of nature. The only one I know who has power over nature and power over material substance is God. And the disciples are starting to get a hint here of who Jesus really is. Verse 26. 
And when the disciples saw Jesus walking on the sea, they were frightened, saying, It is a ghost, and they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Here's the next lesson. Test every vision of Jesus. This is the real Jesus out on the water, but the disciples don't know that. So Peter tests it to see if it's the genuine item. That's smart to do. Most people in America, according to surveys, will say, I believe in Jesus. Well, you've got to test that and ask, which Jesus do you believe in? Do you believe in the real one? I was at the airport. Here comes a Hare Krishna wanting money from me. I said, no, I'd rather give to Christian groups. Oh, we're Christian. We believe Jesus is a son of God. I said, I know. I believe Jesus is the only son of God. Well, we believe Jesus is one of the many reincarnations of Vishnu. And I said, yeah, but that's not who Jesus is according to the Bible. Um, if you go to a Unitarian church, a lot of Unitarians will say, I believe in Jesus. Okay, which Jesus? Is your Jesus the Lord of the universe who created heavens and the earth, who walked on the water, who rose from the dead? Oh, we don't believe any of that, but we do believe he's a great moral teacher. Well, then that's a fake Jesus. Yes, the Jehovah's Witnesses. Do you believe in Jesus? They'll say yes. Well, which Jesus? Is your Jesus the Lord and God? Well, no, we, we believe Jesus is a creature. He's not God. He's not eternal. But God the Father made Jesus, and Jesus is the spirit brother of the devil, and Jesus is the archangel Michael, to which you've got to say, read Hebrews chapter 1. The whole first chapter of Hebrews was written to show that Jesus is not an angel. Let's do one more. Mormons, do you believe in Jesus? Oh, yes, we do. Well, Mormons, what do, you, do you believe Jesus is God? They'll say yes. But we Mormons believe in thousands of gods. And if you're a good Mormon, you can become a god someday. Well, that's not the real Jesus. One more. New Agers. A lot of New Age people. Yes, we believe in Jesus. He's our guru. Well, what do you believe about Jesus? And you know what Oprah, who's very New Age, said? Being raised in the Baptist church, I used to believe Jesus came to earth to die for our sins. Now, now that she's new age, now I believe Jesus came to earth to get us in touch with our own inner Christ consciousness. In other words, we're all God. Jesus is God, but aren't we all? If somebody says they believe in Jesus, do what Peter did in the boat. Let's test that and make sure that's the biblical Jesus who was fully God and fully man. Let's look at verse 28. And uh, verse 29, And Jesus said to Peter, Come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. Here's the next lesson. If God says you can do it, do it. Peter, you can do this. Get out of the boat and just come. You know, this book says that you as a Christian filled with the Holy Spirit, you can love people that you hate. You can forgive people that have wounded you. You can become a generous giver to missions. You can become a bold witness for Christ. And if this book tells you you can do something, 
You can do it. So just get out of the boat, trust God's power, and do it. Now, that's not saying you'll never sink. In fact, let's, let's watch Peter sink here now. Let's look at verse 29, uh, verse 30. But seeing the wind, Peter became afraid and began to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me. Here's the next lesson. Peter's mistake is he started, he stopped looking at Jesus and started looking at the waves. Here's what I think that means. If God tells you to do something and you get out of the boat and you're risking it and you're going to go do it, keep your eyes on Jesus. Don't look at how weak you are. Don't look at your circumstances because they'll always tell you, get back in the boat. No, no, I'm going to keep my eyes on Jesus and I'm going to not look at the circumstances. <laughs> I've been a pastor a long time and I've had to do some kind of tough things. And I remember when somebody told me, that their relatives who were members of my church were also Satan worshipers and practiced sexual abuse on people. And I, I knew the Lord wanted me to confront this. And one of the longest walks in my life was from my car door to their doorbell. Hi, worshiping Satan, huh? Can we talk? And it was a very difficult meeting. But here's the point. If God is telling you to do something difficult, get out of the boat. Don't look at how weak you are. Don't look at the circumstances. Keep your eyes on Jesus and it'll happen. And let's give the definition of faith from this verse. Here, here it is. Faith is looking at Jesus, not the waves. Let me repeat that. Faith is looking at Jesus, not the waves. Let me give you some more definitions of faith. Faith is trusting God to keep his promises. That's probably the best definition. Faith is just, I'm going to trust God to keep his promises here. Another definition. Faith says, I can't, but God can. Faith is trusting God's word, not my feelings. That's a big one. Faith is trusting what God says, not how I feel. And one more, God is not asking us for a great faith. He is asking us for a little faith in a great God. Okay, so Peter looks a little foolish now. He's starting to sink under the water, but then he does something smart. And look at what he does in verse 30. But seeing the wind, he began to sink, and crying out, Peter said, Lord, save me. Here's the next lesson. Peter's wisdom is he knows who to yell for. And Christian, if you get out of the boat and take a risk for God, and if you start blowing it and, and sinking, know who to yell for. Peter doesn't say, oh, my psychotherapist, save me. He cries, Lord, save me. Story of a many years ago of a little girl on the train, very friendly little girl, flitting from stranger to stranger, talking to all the all the people. You didn't even know who her mother was. But when the train went into a dark tunnel, the little girl flew to the lap of her mother. <laughs> when you take a risk for God and you're following Christ in faith and you start to sink, know who to yell for. And look at verse 31. Matthew 14, 31, And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of Peter and said to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? 
Here's the next lesson. Jesus catches us when we fall. We have a merciful Savior. James chapter 3 says, We all stumble in many ways. And when we stumble, we have a gracious Savior to pick us up. And have you ever wondered, why did Jesus let Peter sink? Why didn't he run over and get him before he started sinking? Well, one scholar said this, It is good for Christians that God from time to time allows them to feel their weakness and their impotence. Our help is in the name of the Lord. The Lord sometimes allows his people to sink, but only in order to humble them and pick them up again. If you know the Gospels, you know Peter had a pride problem, and now Jesus lets him sink and then picks him up to humble Peter because God is going to choose to use Peter later as one of the great leaders of the Christian church. So um, he needs to be humbled. And let me say this too about Peter. Let's not be too critical of Peter. At least he got in the, out of the boat. The other disciples are just sitting in the boat. And isn't it true that sometimes Christians who are doing nothing love to criticize Christians who are doing something? <laughs> For instance, years ago when I was still in the big liberal ELCA Lutheran branch of the church, we had a little group of pastors that would go to the conventions every year trying to get this church to turn around and become biblical again. We get to the microphones and say, why are we paying for abortions with offering dollars in the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America? And we, we would go there every year and we lost always. <laughs> but you know what would bother me? Now and then there would be a conservative pastor who never got to the microphone. And he'd come up privately, well, I want you to know, I'm with you on the issues. I agree with you theologically, but I don't like the way you're doing it. And the leader of our little group was a Pastor Paul Swedberg, wonderful, gentle Christian man. And some Lutheran professor criticized him, and, and Paul Swedberg said, I like the way I'm doing something better than the way you're doing nothing. <laughs> and, you know, so we got to remember that. At least Peter got out of the boat and was trying. And if you're just sitting in the boat and you're not doing anything from the Lord, uh, you be careful before you criticize Christians who are at least trying. Look at verse 32. And when they got into the boat, the wind stopped, and those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. This is the first time in the Gospels where people call Jesus the Son of God. And it says they worshipped him. So here's the next lesson. It's the point of the whole story. You can worship Jesus. The disciples have learned that Jesus has, has power over material substance. Feeding of the 5,000. They learn from walking on water. Jesus has the power over nature, over the laws of gravity. The only one I know that has power over those things is God. And the disciples won't understand that Jesus is God until after the resurrection. And Thomas says to Jesus, my Lord and my God. But they're starting to get a glimpse here. And they worship him. And I want you to notice, the disciples do not become good Unitarians and say, truly you are a great moral teacher. They don't become good New Agers and say, truly you are part of us, us 
collective Christ consciousness. They don't become good Mormons and say, truly you are one of the thousands of gods. They don't become Jehovah's Witnesses and say, truly you are the spirit uh, brother of Lucifer and the Archangel Michael. No, they say, truly you are the Son of God. The point of this whole story is that you can worship Jesus because the, he is the eternal Son of God. He's one with the Father and the Spirit, one God, three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You can worship Jesus because he is God with the Father and the Spirit. That is the point of Jesus walking on the water. Amen. Welcome to the portion of the pastor study where we now ask Pastor Brock to share with us not only his knowledge of scripture, but his insights to answer questions we have regarding the Bible, our Lord, and our everyday walk with Him. In light of your sermon today, Pastor Brock, my first question for you is, does the Bible actually talk about transgenderism? No. Matthew chapter 19, Jesus said, He, God, who made them in the beginning, made them male and female. He doesn't add, or transgender, or bisexual, or asexual, or pansexual. You know, some of the sex experts are saying now there are 160 genders. This is craziness, Jackie. But what's really crazy is the way some liberal Protestant denominations have embraced all this. The Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, Presbyterian Church USA, the Episcopal Church, the really liberal United Church of Christ. When you go to these conventions now, they have transgender bathrooms, and this is craziness. So uh, this, uh, it, it's, we are at a low point in church history with the denominations jumping on whatever crazy thing bandwagon is going through our culture. It's just tragic. And to put this in front of teenagers is really sick. Is it Satan behind all oh, of this? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Satan has a lot of people churches? in the church wearing collars. There are pastors and bishops that are planted by the devil. They, I don't think they know that, but they are. Yeah. Okay. So what are some of the prior storms in church history that the church has survived? All right. And I guess I'm going to make this a two-part question. Yeah. After that, where does it say in the Bible that Jesus is God? Okay, that is the big storm that happened back about 325 AD. There was a heretic by the name of Arius who was teaching Jesus is not God, he's a creature. And they had the big council of Nicaea, 325 AD, when all the bishops came together and said, no, Arius, the Bible teaches Jesus is very God of very God, begotten, not made, of one substance by the, of the Father by whom all things were made. That's the Nicene Creed. And, and they rejected Arius' teaching. And that teaching got to be pretty big. It, it's the ancient version of Jehovah's Witnesses. And where does it say in the Bible that Jesus is God? There's a number of places, but the, the one we just read is the disciples worship Jesus when he got into the boat. Well, you don't worship anyone unless they're God. But that's the, the real clear passages are John chapter 1, Hebrews chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1, Philippians chapter 2, and others that teach the deity of Christ. All right, you talked about the false versions of Jesus today. So can you give us some examples of who's what those are? Right. I think in America today, the biggest, even they'll ask church people, is Jesus God? And they won't get it. Um, an, another popular uh, false Jesus is the New Age teaching that we are all the Christ consciousness. Jesus had it, but so do we. So there's no real difference between Jesus and us. Those are some of the false teachings. 
So when did the disciples come to understand that Jesus is God? I don't think they got it until after the resurrection. Okay. And they, they called him the son of God, but it wasn't until after Jesus rose from the dead that Thomas says to Jesus, my Lord and my God. I think that's when the light bulb went on. Okay. <clears throat> if Jesus is God, so did he know everything when he was on earth? Well, you, when Jesus, Jesus was eternally God with the Father and the Spirit before the world was created. But then uh, about 4 BC, Jesus became a man and he did leave some of his divine knowledge behind because when he was walking through the crowd, some lady touched the hem of his garment. He turns around and says, who touched me? He didn't know. Uh, they, the disciples said, you know, when are you coming back for the second coming? Jesus said, only the Father knows. There were things, I, I mean, I, Jackie, when I first learned, I, I took a class on this, and the professor made the point that three-year-old Jesus could not do trigonometry. And I thought, well, that's, of course he could, because he was God. And, and his point was, he, he, Jesus is eternally God, but he actually really became a man. And it says in the book of Luke, Jesus grew in wisdom. So, so he became a real human and left some of his knowledge in heaven. Well, Jesus was born of a virgin and he grew up and... <laughs> As a real human. human. Yep. yep. All right. So Jesus caught Peter when he fell. But I guess the big question is, how do we know that God will catch us when we do something wrong. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The promise is, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That means, and Jesus said, Peter said, Jesus, do I have to forgive my brother seven times a day? Jesus said, no, 70 times seven. So the promise is, when you're truly sorry, if you come to God for forgiveness, he always forgives. Yeah. Okay. We've still got about a minute left, so I'm going to ask you one more thing. Okay. I don't see any evidence in the New Testament that Jesus is God. So if I'm not finding it, I guess, where do we yep. see that? This was a question, I believe, that was written in, but I'm going, to, I'm going to reiterate. Read John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was God, and the Word becomes flesh. There's a verse. Uh, Philippians chapter 2. Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grabbed onto, but he emptied himself, became a human being. So just John chapter 1, Hebrews chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1, Philippians chapter 2. Okay. Well, we want to thank you for being with us this week. The pastor's study has enjoyed being on now for 28 years. Mm -hmm. And we can only pray that God will be granting you his richest blessings until we're all together again next time. Thank you for watching The Pastor Study. You can watch more of our programs at pastorstudy.org. We are on the air preaching the gospel of Christ because of our generous support of you, our viewers. Would you consider supporting our ministry? You may do so at pastorstudy.org. Or write The Pastor Study, P.O. Box 41294, Minneapolis, Minnesota 55441. May the blessing of our one triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you today and always. If you've been blessed by the pastor's study, would you consider a tax-deductible gift to help us reach more people with the good news of Jesus Christ? You can donate at our website, pastorsstudy.org, two S's, or mail a check to the pastor's study. P.O. Box 41294, 
Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55441. May the Lord bless you and have a wonderful week.